I can't believe I'm saying this, but it seems as though Republicans and Democrats are joining forces to pass some of the most significant retirement legislation since 2006. Today I dive into the newest legislation to have bipartisan support, the SECURE Act, coming up on Money Speak. Hello everyone and thanks for joining me today. I'm Mike Pruitt, Certified Financial Planner with MBE Wealth Management in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. I want to jump right in because there's a lot of meat on this bone and I want to cover it all and still keep the show relatively short as always. Nobody wants to hear me drone on and on about retirement legislation. So I do think it's pretty important stuff though. So while the details are still being flushed out, uh, this is looking pretty promising. Uh, unlike the fiduciary rule that seemed to be moving along quite well and then was shot down like a wounded duck. so uh, But nonetheless, I think this one actually might get through. So we're going to dig in. Um, I want to talk about what the SECURE Act is, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how it's planned on being paid for. So uh, so I mentioned the name of the, the act is called the SECURE Act. So SECURE, which I have to digress for a second here. I've always wondered what the staffer gets paid to come up with these crazy acronyms for congressional legislation. So I went back and I looked up some of these acronyms and I found some good ones. So I thought this one was pretty creative. The NADA Act, N-A-D-A, No Armed Drones Act. Act. So the extra A, it's a bit redundant, but uh, that's government for you, right? So then how about the Recall Act? This was another good one uh, for cars. The Recall Act, Repairing Every Car to Avoid Lost Lives Act. And then this was one of my favorites. The Jaws Act, Justice Attributed to Wounded Sharks. So these are great. So like I said, the SECURE Act, which stands for Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement. Okay, so what is the SECURE Act all about? So basically, in the beginning of 2019, both the House and Senate introduced bills uh, to basically start enhancing the U.S. worker U.S. worker opportunities for employer-provided plans. So the Senate came up with a revised RESA bill. So RESA is the Retirement Enhancement and Savings Act. Uh, this has been done a couple different times. They just enhanced it and. That was early January. Then the House Ways and Means Committee, in turn, took pieces from that. They pushed out the SECURE Act. And then just beginning of April, April 2nd, the Senate revised their RESA again to mirror the SECURE Act. And so here we are. Now we move forward. So like I mentioned earlier, this is the most sweeping retirement legislation since the Pension Protection Act of 06 and... It looks like it's got support from both sides of the aisle, so it could go to a vote as early as May. That's what everybody keeps saying. So so what is in this thing? So the spirit of acronyms, I bring to you RAMP. That's right, R-A-M-P. So R is for RMD changes. A is for automatic increase changes. M is for multi-employer 401k plans. And P is for part-time worker eligibility changes. So if you're wondering what is in the SECURE Act, think of my amazing acronym RAMP. And I'm pretty proud of this. So I might even try to get a job as a 
bill acronym creator in Congress if my career as a financial planner doesn't work out. So, so let's start with the R. So RMD changes, right? So currently retirees have to take RMDs the year they turn 70 and a half. Now this number is being bumped out to 72. And additionally, workers can contribute to their IRAs past age 70, the current limit. So right now you can still put into a 401k past the age of 70 as long as you're still working, but the IRA is shut off. Uh, that's going to change now. So the reasoning for these provisions is life expectancy, right? You know, Americans are living and working longer and shouldn't have to stop contributing or be forced to withdraw money before they need it simply due to their age. You know, and it makes sense because it goes in line with what will ultimately have to be addressed when it comes to Social Security, which is extending the full retirement age out to age 68. So it's kind of this domino effect, right? Um, I also wonder at some point if they'll address the 59 and a half issue for IRA penalty, but whatever. So let's move on to A. A is the automatic escalations of 401k contributions. And so basically, the way it's set up right now, the max auto increase is 10%. The, the new act will kick that up to 15%. So what that basically means is, let's say you get a job and you... You know, you start with putting $100 a month in. Well, after the first year, you can have that. You can basically set it up so automatically 10% every year, your contribution amount is increased, right? So if you started at 100, the next year, 10% increase, so it's 110. The year after that, 10% increase, so on and so forth. And so that's set up to help encourage savings. And, and the numbers show that it works, but... They did put a cap on it at a maximum of a 10% a year increase, which I never really understood, but it is what it is. So the new act will actually bump that up to 15%. So, you know, and on a side note, it's kind of interesting. When that auto increase provision was built into 401ks, you know, over the last decade, it was done from a behavioral finance standpoint. Um, And it kind of tied hand in hand with the auto enrollment feature where basically you started a company as soon as you're eligible 3% 3% per paycheck is just starts automatically going into the 401k unless you choose to opt out as opposed to you're eligible for the 401k, do you want to opt in? And what they found was that automatic inclusion actually like completely changed the trajectory for retirement savings uh, for millions of Americans and then, then implement the auto increase and yeah, you know, that's something I tell many of my clients to do, and it's huge. You know, so now if that cap is going from a ten percent auto increase to a maximum of fifteen percent, excellent. I don't care. I would rather see no cap, but I'm sure there's some logic behind it. So, um, additionally, the the act allows for employers that install a new four hundred one k or a simple IRA to get a tax credit of up to five hundred dollars to defray the startup if they have auto enroll. And that's on top of the current startup credit that's already out there. So, you know, pretty good option for companies that are starting plans. And that kind of ties into the next one. You know, one of the reasons we see smaller businesses not doing 401ks is because they're cost prohibitive when the company is still young. The Nobody wants, the 401k providers don't really like playing in the startup sandbox per se, um, just because there's not enough revenue coming in in the beginning. So it's, they'll do it, but it's cost prohibitive. So that brings us to M in our RAMP acronym, and the M is the Multi-Employer 401k, the MEP, MEP provision. So under the SECURE Act's 
MEP provision, basically small employers can kind of form together, band together and form one retirement plan. And they don't even have to, they don't have any commonality. The provision in there removes the commonality requirement for participation, meaning you can be completely unaffiliated businesses and allowed to aggregate for what should be theoretically better pricing, right? We put together three or four companies, now we get better pricing, and I see it. We see it all the time when small businesses opt to not provide a 401k. It's it's mainly because of the cost. You know, I'll have business owners call me and say, hey, what can we do for a 401k or something? Well, usually it's for a startup, it's cost prohibitive. And then we look at doing a simple IRA. But the problem with the simple is current legislation dictates that if you have more than 100 eligible employees, you can't use the simple. Which is, I've always looked at the simple IRA as a 401k with training wheels. It's very easy to administer. You put money in as an employee, you get a company match. It's not complicated at all. So what you end up having is almost this, almost kind of like the this donut hole effect where basically up through 100 employees, fine, you do a simple IRA. Um, but if you're more than 100 employees still too small to really get good pricing, you're kind of stuck in this no man's land where if I do a 401k, it's going to be really expensive to do. So being able to band together now with other companies for more purchasing power, I think that's a great idea. So, you know, we'll see where that piece of this goes, but it's definitely a good provision. I believe one of them, I think it was the Reza did not have that provision in there uh, and the secure does now. So, um, so the last one of the ramp acronym is the P, the part-time worker changes. So right now, part-time workers are eligible for benefits provided they've worked at least 1,000 hours in one year, which is basically like 25 weeks full-time. Now, what the new act is going to do is it's going to add another piece to that provision and an or clause that basically says work 1,000 hours in one year or at least 500 hours for the three previous years, or three consecutive years, I guess. So it's interesting um, because what the data shows is that the current law with 1,000 hours in a year actually works against women quite a bit. And it's because women are more than more likely than men to work part-time. So the new legislation says, hey, hold on here. You know, This person may not have worked 1,000 hours last year, but they work 600, 700 hours each year for the last three, four, five years and therefore should be eligible. So, um, so there, there are a couple other key provisions too, and I don't want to gloss over those. One of the ones I found interesting was the new treatment of non-tuition fellowship payments and stipend payments for grad and postdoc students. So what that's basically saying is like right now, if you're a grad student, a postdoc student, you're working for... You know, university research project, you've got fellowship payments um, or stipends coming in. That right now is not considered compensation for the purposes of IRA contributions. So those folks can't put into an IRA, right? The SECURE Act is going to change that and basically say, no, that type of income counts for contribution purposes. Go ahead and contribute to an IRA. There's also a, a unique provision that does something similar for many home health care workers whose only compensation comes from this quote-unquote difficult of care payments. That's not eligible to be counted for IRA contributions either, and the SECURE Act will change that as well. So um, home health care workers can contribute to IRAs as well. So one gray area in this 
I, I found is in Section 112, and it allows for penalty-free withdrawals from plans for any qualified birth or adoption distributions. And I know I might catch some flack for this, but right now there are a few hardship provisions, first-time home purchase provision to allow for penalty-free um, but man, I hate the Pandora's box opening further of people tapping into retirement for things like this. And I know, again, I know I'm going to catch flack. I know it sounds harsh, but I kind of feel like these these things encourage poor planning. You know, if I don't know, I'll move on because you know I'd really need to dig more into this gray area before I make a good decision on whether or not I like that. So, so so far so good, right? Um, step in the right direction. People are living longer, so push back the ages on contributing and required withdrawals. Do things to encourage more plans to come into existence. Make more people eligible to save for retirement. You know, I'm giddy thinking about something that both parties have come together on for the better of our society. What a concept, right? So I do think they could do a few more things, like change the 401k age from 21 down to 18. That drives me nuts. You know, and, and I do think you'll see this as more and more people in the coming years forego college in favor of a tech school or trade school or self-employment. You know, the idea of making an 18-year-old who's waiting, you know, who's working, wait three years to be eligible to contribute to a 401k is crazy to me. So now, I, I do realize that companies themselves can opt to provide 401ks younger than 21, but the reality is. If the legislation says 21, there are plenty of companies out there who are basically going to go by whatever the government says. So if the government takes that age down to 18, I think you'll find a lot of companies, you know, well, obviously they'd have to follow that legislation. But I think you'd just, you'd be encouraging more and more people to contribute. And my gosh, when you think about the compounding and the time value of money of somebody that starts investing at 18 versus 21 versus 25 and what those extra three years of contributions mean 35 years later in retirement, it's, I mean, I don't want to do the math, but it's probably pretty mind-blowing. Now, it's not all sunshine and rainbows here because we have to talk about how this gets paid for. And this is where the bill will get divisive, I'm afraid. So, and as a financial planner, this will make things very interesting. So I'm going to cover the four primary quote-unquote pay-for mechanisms here. And I'm going to save the one for last that I think will generate the majority of the funding needed for this, but it's also going to create the biggest obstacle for planners and clients alike and might be the piece that kills this thing altogether. Uh, and trust me when I say the last funding mechanism we talk about shouldn't be treated lightly. So... Four mechanisms, all right? So in the Act, basically sections 401 through 404. So we're going to start on 402, come back to 401. So section 402 is increasing the penalty for the failure to file. So basically what's going to happen is the legislation will increase the failure to file penalty to the lesser of $400 or 100% of the amount of the tax due. So increasing the penalties will encourage timely, accurate return filing, which hopefully improves overall tax administration. Now, again, it's not going to generate a ton of revenue, right? So here's mechanism number two. Failure to file retirement plan returns will have increased penalties. So basically what they're going to end up doing is if you don't file your Form 5500, 
you're gonna have $105 per day penalty up to $50,000. You don't file a registration statement, you get a $2 per participant per day penalty up to 10K. And failure to file a required notification of change would result in a $2 per day, not to exceed $5,000. So there's there's one more required withholding notice has a penalty and, and up to a certain amount. But point is, don't worry about the numbers. Just remember that you know two, are, two mechanisms right now are basically increases in penalties for failure to file, whether it's tax returns or retirement plan returns or additional documentation that go along with the retirement plan. So section 404, this was kind of an interesting one too, is, is this is the, the heavy truck tax, which is, I, I again, it's I don't know where they come up with this stuff and, and why the heavy truck tax matters, but basically what they're going to do is they're going to allow the IRS to share returns and return information with Customs and Border Protection so they can administer and collect the heavy vehicle use tax. So this provision's actually gotten some flack, too, um, from the, uh, the trucking groups, like the American Truck Dealers, which is part of the NADA, is, is fighting tooth and nail to kill the excise tax piece of this. Um, well, they're, they're fighting to kill the excise tax itself. But, you know, something like this, I'm sure they will get behind, you know, whatever they can do to get rid of this piece of the legislation. But um, anyway, like I said, I thought that was kind of an interesting little piece of this, that one funding mechanism relies on excise taxes on heavy trucks. So... Um, but now, so let's move to the big one. Okay, this is Section 401. And why this matters is because it is a modification to what's known as the stretch IRA. So as a planner for clients, the stretch IRA provision is a huge planning tool that we use. So let's talk a little bit about what a stretch IRA is first. So basically what a stretch IRA is, is it allows a beneficiary to take the required minimum distributions out over the continued lifetime of the person who had passed away or or their age uh, with, with a calculation based on that. Regardless, what ends up happening is, let's say you have you know a, somebody who passes away at the age of 75, they have a million dollars in their retirement account, they pass one beneficiary, that beneficiary now, maybe they're 20 years, 25 years younger, they now have the ability to to take RMDs on an annual basis out for basically like another 35, 40 plus years. So imagine taking a million dollars, letting it continue to grow for three to four decades, and then every year having to take a, a small amount out of that. How much, number one, how much more you can grow the account, but number two, how you can stretch out the tax consequences of that account. So now the new bill basically places a limit on that time frame. So they're not getting rid of the stretch, but instead of saying, you know, to follow it over this lifetime table, which like I said, 30, 40 plus years, they're actually saying 10 years max. So now it's waived in certain cases, primarily for spouses, which can theoretically just inherit and treat it as their own. Um, and we can dig into the numbers quite a ways here, but you really don't need to. Just on the surface, think about the math. You know, let's go back to the example of the person that, you know, age 75, passed away with a million dollars, one beneficiary. 
under current rules, that beneficiary can stretch that thing out over 40 plus years. And if you think about an average growth rate of 6%, pretty good numbers. Now, condense that down into one decade, you know, and remember that that money is taxed to that person as ordinary income, right? So if I'm making $200,000 a year and I'm put in a position where I have to draw, let's say 10% for 10 years on $1 million for easy math, $100,000 a year, that's got some serious tax implications. So, you know, now obviously that's what they're counting on for revenue. So again, I, I could definitely see this being a, you know, a contentious point. So, you know, anyway, so there in a nutshell is your SECURE Act, right? So we've got the four key provisions, which is RAMP, right? RMD adjustments, automatic increase adjustments, multi-employer plan, and then changes to the part-time workers. And then you've got the four key mechanisms built in to pay for it, which is, you know, increases in penalties for failure to file, um, taxes and retirement plan returns, you know, in, increase. You know, increased information sharing, which in turn leads to, you know, additional excise taxes on the heavy vehicles. And then the big one, the, the change to the stretch IRA provision. So, you know, all in all, I don't have a, a problem. I don't like that stretch IRA, stretch IRA provision piece. I, I would even, gosh, if there's a way they could just take it to 20 years instead of 10, I'd probably feel much better about that. Um, but, you know, that's our job as planners is to be able to adjust to that type of legislation if it occurs. So all in all, like I said, I think it's a move in the right direction. You know, the more we can do in this country about encouraging retirement, especially at a younger age, is going to be huge. You know, as we see the burdens that are on the Social Security system, people need to take more and more of an incentive, you know, responsibility for their own retirement savings. So any anything we can do to make that better for U.S. workers is a positive. So um, so anyway, that's going to wrap up the show for today. Uh, we'll come back to this probably in the next week or two. We're going to do a bit of a roundtable discussion with a couple colleagues of mine, and we'll see. You know, we'll bring our chief compliance guy on and, and kind of get his take on it and another one of our planners here at the firm and just kind of get get a different view on it. So Anyway, we're going to wrap up the show right now, and I appreciate you joining us. If you got any questions on the new Secure Act and you want to send them my way, uh, you can always email me at mike.pruitt at mbewealth.com. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can find us on Facebook, and you can find us on Twitter. So appreciate you joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Money Speak is hosted by MBE Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Views expressed on this show are of the hosts and guests only. Information contained in this show should not be considered investment advice, tax advice, or personal recommendations. Consult your financial or tax professional with questions. Advice may only be provided after entering into an advisory agreement with MBE Wealth Management.